0: To another episode of Leads to, Deals. Leads to Deals. All right, guys, I'm excited to have a special guest today here on our Leads to Deals podcast. His name's Anthony Cazada. He's got a wholesaling and real estate investment firm located in Orlando, Florida. He's a mentor to many, he's a coach to many, he leads a fantastic and top-tier sales team, and so I'm excited about all the nuggets that we'll be able to get from him, because here on the Leads to Deal podcast, we talk about everything that leads to deals, and we talk about everything from leads to deals. So please welcome Anthony Cazada to the show. Appreciate you having me on, Scott. It's It's an absolute pleasure, man. So to put a frame of reference on this particular podcast, you're here with me at our studio in Columbia, South America. Yes. This is your second? or third time here? Third time here. Yep. Okay. Very cool. So one of the things I want to get in on our podcast is really talking about how sales is like a universal way to improve your life. Right. And so I know you have a great journey story and we'll hop into some of that as well, too. But I'm curious, like, what do you see in the salespeople that you've met here, whether it be in different cities or whether it be here in our office? Like, how do you feel this culture, the Colombian culture, adapts to sales?
1: Oh man, uh, well I was just in Cartagena last weekend and it, it's a hustle. It's a hustle mentality. It's definitely a different culture uh, compared to the, U, uh, the US. Like I was with some of your guys this morning and one of the biggest things is like, some of these people's lives change at such an early young age. Like some of the stories, some of the guys that I've talked to here were like, yeah, at age 10, I was doing this. One guy was like, yeah, at age 11, I was in nightclubs and doing all these kinds of crazy things. And then I just rechanged my life. And it's something that like the States doesn't have, where it's like a lot of the people are like almost hand said, you know, until like they graduate high school and it's like college is realization. But I feel like here, like they adult really quickly. They adult really quickly. That's a, that's a pretty unique way of putting it.
0: I, I agree. And I think it's somewhat of an economic effect, right? Because... Yeah you need to be less of a burden to your parents before um, maybe a little bit earlier than you are traditionally in the United States. But one of the things I love about here from a sales perspective, is like you said people are hustlers in the most flattering way yeah. like they're out there you never very rarely do you ever see on the street somebody holding a sign just like asking for money you know these guys are doing cartwheels they're throwing blades uh, stuff that's all fire in the sky so when i came here i was like man i bet you it's not going to be hard to find some real deal kids who understand their work ethic yeah. who want to grind out because I know that you know a little bit about my story, but I used to have a large office in South Florida. And that office in South Florida, we had about 170 some people. And what I really love, I loved my team there. Don't get me wrong, but what I love about here is that the team is very appreciative for what we have now in this office. And so you're talking about people who have college degrees that are working here, people that have families that are working here. It's just got more of an adult vibe. And I just believe sales can get you out of almost any hole that you're in in your life. And so with that being said, what were you doing? Now you're a successful, wealthy sales guy, have a sales team with your brother. Yep. And so what were you doing prior to getting into sales yourself, Anthony?
1: Oh, I started at a young age. Like I said, uh, in the States, everything's kind of hand fed to you. So like I lived with my parents all throughout high school. Uh, My senior year, like halfway through, I actually moved in with my brother. Uh, okay. just kind of a change of pace for things but i was working at a restaurant called roy's in orlando and i was like uh they called it an essay it's like a server assistant so i just did all the grunt boy uh grunt work so it was like a glorified bus boy essentially yeah and i did that for a while until one day alex uh put me aside and was like hey i'm working for this other guy let's just bounce out to join his company he's like oh, you'll be admin stuff and it was a little bit more comfortable i didn't really like the restaurant business uh it wasn't for me it's just i didn't like cleaning up after people but so you were doing more busting tables. You weren't really interacting with some of the patrons. Not really. I was a, I was a water boy and clean
0: them up. Yeah. <laughs> the reason why I ask is I don't know if you've done this before, but I see a lot of times going to a restaurant is it being a way to recruit people? Yeah. Cause like when you have a sommelier, right. It's somebody who's describing the wines to you or the describing the meals for you. I'm like, wow, this person can communicate. And I always think that's a very unique opportunity because most you know, people who are bus boys or people that are in the restaurant industry are really underpaid for the amount of equity and work ethic that they put out there. And so I always find that as a really cool uh, way to almost recruit. And I know in Orlando, you're surrounded by these types of people. So have you ever brought on anybody else who had sale or bartending experience or anything
1: along those lines? Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned both of those. Uh, one of our, our girls in our office has been with us for over three years now. She was actually a bartender. Uh, okay. One of the things about her is like she has a she's a person like she knows how to relate to people she knows how to engage because she spent most of her career behind a bar so she's met a lot of people a lot of different faces a lot of different results happening at a bar that she had to deal with that are probably a little more hands on than what she's doing in my office but she adapted very quickly we have a couple of people who did solar uh, they did door to door solar one was a, a manager of a solar team uh, one of our other guys he's been with us for three and a half years he I think sold mattresses before that. So a lot of our guys do have a sales background and if it's not a sales background, it's almost like a people oriented background. Like they're not engaged a lot.
0: Yeah, I love that. So I think a big takeaway here is, is if you are looking for top tier talent, find that top tier talent who interacts with a lot of people, right? and you talked about being a bartender, that means you're talking to people who are having great days and they're going out to celebrate or people at the lowest point of their lives and they're out there trying to medicate themselves. And so that's what I always say about the industry that you guys are in that wholesaling real estate, you're either buying ugly homes or ugly situations now you could be having a good time in your life and you just really you're a hoarder, right like you're having your life's okay to your standards but you just have an ugly home and the other side of it is you guys are solving people's problems are in really really tough times so i agree like having a bartender in your office is somebody who's probably well equipped to be able to handle that and then you mentioned solar sales how did what do you feel about people who are
1: in solar sales how's that been well, I think anybody who does with their solar sales was everything was door to door. So, I mean, imagine being in Florida, hundred degree heat and you're just knocking on neighborhoods. Like it's one of the hardest sales. I mean, the amount of people that have to shut the door in your face and said, no, no, no. And it's just boom, next, next, next. It's not even like a phone. Like you literally have to walk a couple steps in the heat, re-pitch and like their whole pitch is like once they engage, then they're going to the dining room table. So I think it's probably one of the tougher sales is door to door and people, most people don't want to even do that.
0: Yeah. So I know that you do consulting for other wholesalers and investors in this industry. And I was watching some of your online content and you were saying, I guess, because of your experience with her, but you were like, Hey, listen. If you've done solar sales or timeshare sales, and you've been able to feed your family—I think is how you put it—you've been able to feed your family. Like that's an ideal candidate for your your type of industry. And I assume because of Orlando, you're
1: close to other people who've been in timeshare sales. Yeah. So we've had a couple of timeshare sales. I mean, there's like Westgate and all these other companies—Hiltons, Hyatts. We had the one recent hire we had did vacation packages for Disney. Wow. Uh, so those guys, I mean, it's it's hardcore sales there. Yeah, they're really drilled in. Like a lot of those people, they have strong training backgrounds because of there, because like the solar business, the timeshare business, like most of it's hardcore training. Like it's fundamentals, it's good core knowledge of how to understand how to close people. So it's a lot of people in the wholesale industry don't realize that sales is probably the most important part.
0: It's also aggressive training, right? <laughs> Super aggressive. aggressive. Yeah. If you guys and gals don't know about timeshare, they're literally selling air. You're, you're selling air to people and then solar, you're selling them something that they already get at a relatively low cost, which is energy. And so I think that's one of the things that we identify a lot here on the podcast is the difference between salespeople and closers, order takers and closers. And so for you, when you kind of hear those two words juxtaposed beside each other, like what is your definition? Cue the closer, right? Like that's his online Instagram. But when somebody says, hey, I'm a salesperson versus I'm a closer, what does that invoke in you? What does that mean to you?
1: Well, I think they're definitely two different spectrums. So most of the time you can find an order taker by someone who just gets really uncomfortable in their skin. So like, for example, I was telling uh, this recent guy I just trained where order takers will go straight into property details on a pitch. So they'll say, hey, this is Anthony, here's your house. Uh, Can you tell me about the house? That's an order taker. It's someone who's just checking out the boxes to give you a number. It's a seven minute offer. You can't do that. Got a closure is the kind of person who can ask the tough questions, create urgency, take away the property from them. And then not only that, but right at the end, assume the sale. So there are core fundamentals that these closures have. It's a drive. It's somebody who's hungry. It's someone that. who's cut throat. You know, it's one of the persons where your client wants a hundred and you can do a hundred and they're starting offers 50 grand.
0: So for the people that are watching this today, who don't really understand your industry, and you were talking about getting property details, take just a, a one or two steps back, kind of the elevator pitch as to what you, your sales team, all your different departments are doing right now as for sales. Like, What does your company do? So we lock
1: up properties all throughout the nation. Everything's over the phone. Uh, so we get Lamasu leads, we get uh, PPC leads, SMS leads, we do all, all the marketing. Uh, but when an initial lead comes in for our system, uh, we have like a, what's called the A to Z process. So it's all it's just five steps that they had to hit throughout the sales process. So they're going to build rapport with the client. They got to figure out, you know, we have to identify the lead source, where it came from. People want to build rapport and why they're with us and sitting with us today. And then we're going to set up our presentation. So setting up the presentations, finding out their why, their motivations, and kind of what to expect on the outcome of the call. Once we find that, essentially what my guys are trying to do is they have, I tell them they have a revolver on their hip and you have six bullets. And all you're trying to do within that section is to create bullets so that way you can use that ammo towards the end of your closing. So once the report section is and I'll kind of keep it brief because I charge for this. The next step is just to build value. So it's kind of like, hey, now that I know what your issue is, how can I solve it? Once I build value, value is like a trust. You know, once I can build trust with my client, rephrase everything they talked about, I'm asking the tough questions that where they can feel engaged with me. Then I kinda explain the benefits of my company. We're the expert section of the of the pitch where we kinda explain who we are, what we can do, why we're we're your your problem solvers today. And then the next is the qualifying stage where we set up the stage of, hey, this is the back office, they're gonna you know give you the quote, this is what it's gonna expect which then leads to the closing stage, which is a negotiation, then assuming the set.
0: Wow. Yeah. So guys, what he essentially did, and this gentleman does charge thousands of dollars for his courses, but he just kind of gave you a bit of a blueprint. So you need to tag somebody, you know, that needs to hear this. You need to forward this podcast, forward the link to this video over to other people. I love what you said. And I'm going to say what, in a little bit different words or what I interpret it from that, Anthony is I didn't hear you cutting any corners. Yeah. I didn't hear you saying, hey, listen, we get them on the phone and they fill out a lead on PPC, which for the people out there, it's like a Google ad. And I assume they're searching words like, hey, how do I sell my house without a realtor? Yeah. Stuff like that. OK, so somebody's in North Carolina. They sit in front of their computer. If they're wanting to sell their house without a realtor, typically means there's something urgent going on in their lives. Correct. Or they've had such a bad experience with a realtor before in the past. They just don't want to go through with that. Uh, or maybe
1: I guess it's the bees, too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're charging. I mean, if you sell with a realtor, it's somewhere around 8% that they're going to take a rip off of.
0: Okay, cool. So people are coming to you for the convenience and speed, right? And you're solving a problem. So, but he doesn't just get them. He doesn't allow his sales team to just get them on the phone. He doesn't just have them get on the phone and say, all right, one, two, three main street, we'll go ahead and make you an offer for 72,000. You're forcing them to go through a five-step sales process, five steps, five steps. Yep. Okay, cool. And so what I love about that, and it's indicative of every true closer out there, is you treat every lead the same. What he's saying is no matter what, even if they call up and say, hey, I want to sell my house for a price that he wants, he still, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're going to run everybody through the exact same process, no cutting corners.
1: Yeah, because at the end of the day too, you still have to make your client feel like they want, uh, but you're also trying to exchange your value for a discount.
0: So I've only known about his industry for about two years now. And so one of the things that blew my mind when I first heard about your industry is that they were saying seven minute offers. Yeah, I remember those. And I've sold a lot of products for a lot of money and have a wonderful sales team. I know that our qualifying of the leads takes anywhere between 15 to 17 minutes. To take somebody from stranger to rapport, to identifying some of their needs, to just qualify and to even speak to a guy like you, takes about 15 minutes. And so for all those newbies or the new people that are out there, I think they just try to rush the process and try to shortcut the shortcut, but you don't allow shortcuts at your sales office.
1: Definitely not. I mean, the biggest thing is that even my agents, they don't understand the struggle that I had to do in the beginning. Like I never went to someone's house because back then it was like someone would call on a bandit sign or a postcard and they'll say, Hey, I want to sell my house. We were only in the central Florida market. So we would drive to the properties and do negotiations at people's houses. So, and that never took seven minutes. Like I had to discover the house. I walked the house with them. I toured with them. You know, I asked them tough questions. You know, we even had a little thing where, you know, once you get to the closing stage, what we would do is we'd actually go to the worst room in the house and negotiate there oh, as like a gorilla sales tip. So, but uh, yeah, seven minute offers, like you're just prejudging leads at that point. And unless you have a thousand employees to gorilla that, it doesn't make sense. You're just trying to scrape low, hanging fruit looking for a yes.
0: Yeah, I think it's also, you lack trust. Yeah, Because if you come to my house, and you spend a total of seven minutes from door knock to offer, I don't believe that you really are intelligent enough about my situation to solve my problem. Dude. I think people wanna be heard. And there are a lot of people in all industries, sales industries, they literally, they just wanna jump to the close, but people wanna buy from people, the agents that they know, like, and trust.
1: 100%, because not only that, like I tell my guys too, like, yeah, quick cash offer uh, is on the paper of the contract, but the client remembers my agent. You know, they said, if they ever call back, they're like, I want to speak to Joel. I want to speak to Terry. They don't say, hey, I want to speak to Quick Cash Off. Like they remember my agent because the agent's the one that bought the house.
0: Yeah, when I was about 20 years old, I first started my professional sales, but I remember one of my mentors saying, people don't buy the product they buy the person and that's exactly it right because they need to believe in you and that's why some of these people are like i don't know how you feel about any of those uh like late night getting knives type shows or whatever you like these infomercials Uh, but first off monstrous sales like i love that they're doing these types of numbers i love that they're selling these crazy wacky products but a lot of these people actually follow that person And so that's the reason why these influencers out there, whether it be somebody with lipstick or whatever, they're buying the person more so than they are buying the product. So I love it. I love what you've established so far. Tell me a little bit about for the guys out there, guys and gals in real estate or really any sales industry. Let me ask you though, take a step back. Why didn't you become a traditional realtor?
1: Uh,
0: Was it the tattoos?
1: (laughs) Probably not. Uh, but, uh, no, it was actually my brother had like his real estate license of the day because we made a bunch of MLS offers. Uh, I actually went to apply for it. Uh, I passed the test and everything. I just never activated it. It was just one of those things that really in today's market, even back then and today, we only needed it for MLS access and my brother already had it, but traditional real estate. I mean, that was never my thing. I didn't want to be the guy to show houses, driving the car, sit around, look at 10 houses, make offers. Like that wasn't what sparked my interest Uh, for me. What really caught my attention in wholesaling. Cause even in the beginning of my brother put me in the office, I was just doing admin work. Gotcha. What made the click moment was, wow, you did that and made 10 grand. Like, how do I do that? So that's kind of what I, and I did. And for me, it was all about experience. And I did follow my brother around and learned a lot of the sales tips. But once I realized how much of a cash machine it can be, that's when I was like, okay, this is life changing.
0: Yeah, and I don't want to overgeneralize cause there's people that are in the wholesaling and real estate industry that should be a realtor. And there's realtors that should be in wholesaling. But for me, the big difference between the two is it seems to be one of them's more a job and one of them more a company. Like even if I'm a real estate agent, I find And you said it a while ago, you said, hey, listen, the reason why we built this culture is because I used to have to drive to the house. You had to drive 45 minutes to a prospect, spend that time. You treated the leads like you bought the leads before you ever paid for them. Mm -hmm. And most realtors don't, well, I shouldn't say most realtors, what I find is a lot of realtors aren't as aggressive with leads as you find a wholesaler is. And so for you and your team, maybe talk to us about the size of the team currently, the size of the staff currently, what do you guys got going on in your office today?
1: So they kind of have something to aspire to if they're a wholesaler or an investor. Yeah, so right now we just our acquisition guys. I think we have six, seven closes right now in the office. Everything's in-house. Uh, we have three transaction coordinators. I have two Dispo guys. Uh, we have an executive assistant and we also have a property manager as well. Great, I love it. And so with that size staff, how anxious are you being here, away from? Oh, it's it. It hurts to be here. I, I'm itching uh, to go back. It's just one of those things that I'm a control freak. Yeah. So I kind of like to see the operations and kind of be hands on everything. Uh, you know, I just feel like I always have to have my hand in the pot.
0: Yeah. Well, to give them some credit where credit's due, I think it was either Thursday or Friday. uh, You guys had five deals on the board. And I remember you telling me that. uh, Uh,
1: Five deals on Thursday, four deals on Friday. And then yesterday we had four more deals.
0: Okay. So like, you got to love that, right? So you're out of the office, which you're probably seeing whether you want to give yourself credit for or not is like, hey, I built a foundation and it actually automates. It actually works because the process has to be stronger than the people. And I think that's what it sounds like that you and your colleagues, your brother, and everybody's done. So for everybody who's watching this, who's in other arms of sales. So we already talked about, hey, listen, if you're doing solar, you might want to check out your industry. Uh, Solar, you'd mentioned car sales in a previous uh, conversation. If somebody's looking at getting into the real estate industry, do you recommend that they go into becoming a realtor first, wholesaling? Like if I'm in an industry where I'm working 48, 52, 60 hours a week, walking a car lot or walking a neighborhood, and I hear about this thing, I hear about some of the gurus that are out there, where should they start? <sighs> That's
1: a good question. Uh, I'm a strong believer only because it's what happened to me is uh, working for somebody else. Uh, you know, so with that gentleman, like I learned a lot of fundamentals. Uh, Cause some of the things, is, it, it is not only sales, I think sales makes up probably 80% of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other 20% is like knowing your numbers, you know? So uh, if you can close somebody, you still gotta know how to present the numbers and make sure that what you're locking up is still a deal. Um, but the first step for me is, you know, try to get somebody who's maybe already wholesaling or at least has some general knowledge that can kind of guide you in direction. Maybe it's a mentor or something like that. But you need to get your feet wet Uh, just because you know you can be a great closer but if you don't know how to comp a property then you're just locking up things for nothing
0: yeah i think that's a really good point i think that those guys and gals that are out there that are like like i'm a closer right like you look at yourself you think of yourself as a closer i think just going to any successful wholesaling company or real estate company in town and and here's one of the ways i say you can identify a successful wholesaling company real simply Are they running paid ads? So in your local town, if you're in Nashville, Tennessee, watching this right now, just say, sell my house fast for cash, Nashville. And you're gonna see paid ads, click on them, reach out to them and be like, hey, listen, I'm a monster closer. I've heard about your industry. I wanna come in there. I wanna have my raw talent work through you because I've seen it happen in your guys' office and other people's offices. But you get these guys and gals who are murderers, right? They're just closers amongst closers. They just need some structure. But having them out there, it's so exciting to see what they say, their little twist on them, giving them your five-step plan. But anybody could do it with your five-step plan.
1: 100%. Anybody can adapt to it. And if you already have that core background, you'll knock it out of the park.
0: I love it. All right. So we talked earlier, and I always in this podcast, I want to make it as generalized for everybody in sales, but as impactful as possible, no matter what industry that you're in. So I'm going to talk about two kind of sales fundamentals. The first one's going to be discovery. Yeah. So when you hear the word discovery, what does it mean to you first? In the sales process, discovery.
1: Uh, yeah, so it's about finding out what's the true nature behind your client's decisions and what's gonna take them to the next step, uh, or also you know asking the tough questions.
0: Okay, and so if you're training somebody on discovery in your industry, and every industry is a little bit different, right? But in your industry, how are you guys going through the discovery process and some headwinds that you may face going through the discovery process?
1: Sure. Yeah. So most of our clients, you know, people sell their houses to us mainly because of uh, time and circumstance. We just got to figure out why. So a lot of situations like we had a gentleman the other day where he was job relocating. He was a teacher and, you know, we're in the summertime right now. So his main thing was to uh, move as fast as possible because he had to move to a new city to start his new teaching job. Now, with that situation, you know, most people would be like, OK, great. That's, that's awesome. Let's get you cash offer today. But discovery questions is more of like, you know, do you have a family? again like, you know, what does your wife think Do you have kids in school what's that adjustment gonna look like it it's asking the behind the scenes questions that people just feel uncomfortable asking but that's what's gonna make you build more value with your client and you're gonna really find more of the pain points and then he's gonna trust you more when you ask those tough questions
0: yeah uh, building rapport through discovery is literally it's the foundation of the sales process i'm involved in a lot of chat groups and i hear people saying well like i don't want to ask too personal of a question I'm like. Yeah you're just not going to be successful in this space so I think for me equal to you is that the discovery is so integral because every person who is buying anything has a defense mechanism. I walk into the Nike store today I walk into the store they say hey are you looking for anything I'm looking or fill out my closet in my head So then I'm like no I'm good I'm good no I'm just I'm just checking things out I go into any luxury car dealership. Well, I'll say, but I just want to make sure I get the right agent first. (laughs) But the whole point is, is that everybody in sales has some sort of defense. And whatever they tell you their first reason is, it's actually not true. It's three reasons behind it. So for him, it might be like, well, because I got to move because of the school. But in reality, it could be something as long as like, hey, listen, I got to move because I just went through a divorce. I got to find a community that's suitable for my kids. So that way I can deal with this process and all these other things. You just never, never know but you won't know if you don't ask the right questions. And I think a lot of times there's a big difference between asking the questions and asking the secondary question, and then the third and the fourth. And so a lot of people fail to probe correctly. So is there any tips or tricks that you can share
1: with the guides on how to like probe even better, how to set that stage? Yeah, so for me, like my biggest thing is sympathy versus empathy. Uh, So that's like kind of the biggest thing, Like. When you're asking discovery questions, it's all empathy. You know, most people will just be like, oh, sorry for your situation. Like, hey, my mom just died, we inherited the property. It's, oh, I'm sorry. You know, we want something more, somebody who can be in their shoes. Like, imagine if your mom died. Yeah. You know, you're gonna be in a situation of like, what's that house doing? Are you, who's paying the taxes? Who's paying the mortgage? You know, is anybody living in the property? Who's taking care of it? You know, is, is your father still alive? What's his What's his doing? Is he gonna sit in the house by himself? You know, it's asking tougher questions by being in their shoes, so.
0: And it also helps them to think more, right?
1: 100% because this question is nobody else asks.
0: It's a question that your competitors don't ask. And that's the one advantage of sales is that the sales is pretty much ran by mediocre sales agents. And I, I don't mean that to be overly offensive, but the reality is, is the bulk of people in this industry are still order takers to some level. And it's the master closers, the master wordsmiths that are out there. So I guess one last thing for Discovery, just kind of thinking about it is, <clears throat> As you're getting your responses through your discovery, using his original analogy, which I love, it's you're loading that gun. When somebody gives you a bullet throughout the discovery process, you do not fire on that right then and there. Like, okay, well, because your mom passed away, this is gonna be great for you right then and there. It's only at the end, after you've gone through your five steps, right as you're going in for the trial close, that you're going to start to repeat those things back to them. And yeah. sometimes you leave bullets in the gun, Yeah, but you want to have them all. You don't have to be a six shooter. You can be a large cannon. You just, you want to get as many bullets as possible. And you guys say it the best, and I, I, I repeat it and we all say it, but it takes time to make sales. And you guys say it takes time to take homes and you just can't take homes for your guys industry if you're not taking that time and doing all that discovery. So I love it. So the discovery is in the beginning part of the process and this, he doesn't know these next questions that are coming up, but talk to me when you hear somebody talk about assuming the sale. Mm-hmm. What does assuming the sale mean? If somebody's new on a sales track out there and the boss is like, oh, you gotta assume the sale at the end. What does that mean? And then what does it mean to you and your sales operation?
1: Oh man, that's a pretty big topic. So assuming the sale is really just, you're trying to close the property and hopefully there's no objections. This is kind of what it means to me. So like, even now you can ask my wife, I assume everything. You know, because if someone really has an issue when you're trying to assume something, they'll give you feedback. So like, if you're trying to say, like if someone, imagine you you started at 90 and your client wants 100 and you know you can do 100, essentially what you want to do is kind of build scarcity and urgency throughout your pitch of, you know, if I was able to get you 100 today, would we have a deal? Now, at those times, it's, for example, we had another property in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we built scarcity, we built urgency, but the main pitch was the guy was stuck on this 100k number. we knew we could do 100. We started at 70, we worked our way to 80, but we knew 100 was the deal. So for him we're like, you know, listen, listen John, uh, a couple of things have happened. We went back to my back office here. The issue I have is, you know, we have like a, a street light color system in our system. Okay. You know, red means that we're not buying properties in the area. Green means we're actively buying and we want to continue buying more. And yellow is like this questionable area where like, we may get out soon or, you know, it's stricter policy. So I'm telling John here, I'm like, John, you're right in the yellow. The issue is I go back to my back office, they're telling me they're trying to decide between yours or another property right now. And then we're out of this market because we see too many things going down. This is why
0: I love this because, again, this was very impromptu that question. But he didn't just start at assuming the sale, he started at the foundation behind assuming the sale. And so, assuming the sale is the close. What you talked about is the bridge to the close. In other words, you've already done the foundation, you've boxed him in effectively, you've made sure that you've analyzed and isolated any objection that's out there prior to going into the closing process, or you've narrowed and whittled it down and narrowed it, whittled it down. And once he gets that commitment from the guy, he then makes that offer. You're just assuming rolling right into it. And and so one of the things that I learned in sales a long, long time ago is the close is the natural conclusion to a sales process done well. And so that's essentially it. You're saying, hey man, I've done all five of my steps. And I'm not even going to ask you if you want to sell. We've already established that you're going to sell. And then it's just a natural conclusion for you to go into. Ah, I love it, I love it, cool. So another thing I like to do here is we start to wind this down. Sales has been a crazy industry for me. It took me a non-college educated gentleman to many, many large companies and being being able to be somebody who can train and work alongside of guys just like him, but sales changed my life. But I've also seen some really crazy things in sales and had some really crazy client interactions. What's a story, a funny story, an impactful story that you've had in sales so far that like sticks out to you right away?
1: There's <laughs> uh, actually a client probably in Orlando. Uh, her name was Joyce. It was actually, it wasn't my original lead. It was actually one of my acquisition agents. And uh, she just had a struggle because the lady was in range of what our offer was. And, uh, but the issue was that she had a, like a strong emotional attachment to the property. And one of my closures just, you know, they were missing out on kind of more empathy on the, the call. So what I ended up having were actually TO the deal take over. So I took over the call and uh, was essentially trying to figure out this lady's situation. I ended up finding out by discovery questions and asking hard questions. The reason she had emotional attachment is because a year ago, and it was actually like a year that day or something on a day off where her daughter died in the property. Oh yeah. So strong emotional attachment. It's a strong chapter in her life that she, I was trying to essentially trying to have her close the book on. So it was one of those things that like, no one took the time with this lady to understand it. She talked to a bunch of companies. The price she wanted is a home run price. It's like a 30, 40 K spread. But the issue is no one ever asked her the tough questions. So once I was able to find out about her daughter, you know, she's crying on the phone. She actually told me that day that she's like, I typically don't pick up these calls, but for some reason I picked this up. Wow. And it was one of those things that like, you know, active listening is like super important on the call. Like most agents don't even pick something up like that. They just continue on with the pitch. And it was one of those things that I just wanted to dive deeper and like what that meaning was and you know, how this situation brought us to life and you know, what, you know, the house was in dated condition, like it needed to work. And she's like, I had a leak here, leak there. And the whole pitch was trying to understand like, hey, I understand what happened with your daughter and how difficult that would be. But like, what's your plan if you sold it? Like what's holding you back? And like, once you let that go, where's it gonna take you? So with her, she ended up crying on the phone with me. She actually said no to the offer. So we went through the whole pitch. She's crying. She told me, "I'm for some reason I'm Jesus in her mind." And then uh, she didn't end up closing. She's like, I, "I just can't. I can't let this go." So what I actually did is I actually sent her flowers. Wow. So because the lady was local and I was like, "Man, I, I felt for her," so I actually sent her flowers. The next day she called me that she got the flowers, appreciative. She's like, "I want to meet you guys." So she actually, actually came down to the, the office, explained the whole sales pitch again with me and her agent. Uh, kind of showing her the contract, uh, what to expect in the process, and then the led to this new close. stuff. Wow, so what an awesome lesson learned, right? So not only did you
0: do active listening, you did the probing, you did an excellent discovery, but even defeat, you you still wanted to do the right thing and the <laughs> nice thing buyer. And that was one of the lessons I learned. Uh, one of my mentors, always say, is Zig Ziglar. Even though I never shook his hand, I met him in person a couple of times, so I'm speaking in person, but he used to always say, If you help enough people get what they want out of life, you can have everything you want out of life. And really what she wanted to know is that you cared. She wanted to know that that house would go to a new good home. And just the empathetic thing that you did by going in there and buying her roses is what tipped her over the ledge. Because 99.99% of salespeople out there would never have done that. And you as a closer decided to take that extra step. So that's a huge one. I think also for your industry as well too, I've talked to a lot of people in your guys' industry, prospects, and I don't know if this is a situation with yours or not, but typically you're buying homes in rougher communities. And so to put that into perspective, what that means is you're buying homes that are in sometimes drug-ridden communities. And it's not necessarily the 70-year-old person that you're buying the house from that has a substance abuse problem, it's their kids. And so I know that we've helped a lot of people where the kids are either in the house or they've passed away in the house because of substance abuse issues. So asking those probing questions, you can really get on the same page to those people. So I applaud you for that.
1: Yeah, it's crazy what you can expect nowadays uh, I mean, I could have stories for days. Uh, there was one gentleman that, uh, the girl I told you I was with the office for three years. Uh, just a quick story on that one. Literally, we helped that guy find a new apartment uh, because there's an old man, he actually had no family. Uh, he had colon cancer and might be too graphic, but he would release his bowels all throughout the house because he couldn't actually make it to the bathroom. So literally, I remember because I had like brand new white Yeezys on and I had to go in this guy's house. And literally the first step was the wettest, <laughs> disgustingest thing you ever feel in your life. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was a whole crazy story. We ended up buying this guy pizzas, moving him a new apartment and stuff like that. But <laughs>
0: So if you want to join the wholesaling industry <laughs> and ruin your white Yeezys on human excrement, you might want to get a job with Q the Clothes. Yeah, but isn't that crazy? Like, just think about it. But sometimes that's what it takes to get the sale because, you know, a story like that, I'm sure that wasn't
1: a quick close. You deal with somebody who has mental health problems as well, I assume. Yeah, it took about not only just after the contract, it took three, four weeks of hand holding. Wow. But that's how you earn the big bucks. So speaking of big bucks real quick before
0: we kind of wind this down, when you think about some of your bigger deals that you've done as wholesaler versus like what a realtor would have made, you know, two points, three points. What are some of like the bigger spreads that you've gotten so far in your in your sales career?
1: Uh, the one that rings off the bat is that we did a 100K deal in Jamaica, Queens, New York. Yeah. Wow, a $100,000 deal, Jamaica, Queens, New York. I love
0: it, awesome. <laughs> All right, well, I greatly appreciate you coming out here and, and meeting with me and being on our podcast. Q uh, the Closer on Instagram. Correct. Q the Closer.com. .com, cue the Closer, TikTok, I'm everywhere. Cue the Closer. He, he's made it super simple. Uh, cue the Closer.com. Cue the Closer on TikTok. You can go to your website and get free stuff. What is it that they can get? If they wanna follow you, what are they gonna get for following you?
1: Yeah, so any of the free stuff, you'll get like discovery questions, like how we ask tough questions uh, to our clients, what to ask. Uh, it even has like trial closes, so that way you can assume the sale better. Uh, we also offer our wireframe, which is like our script. And then we actually offer our purchase agreement, which is benefit a lot of people because they had sellers that are backing out. So you want something a little bit more ironclad. You're gonna want that. What about Dispo training? Do you do anything to help with Dispo training? Absolutely, so there's a couple of things. So we offer Dispo training, uh, where we'll teach you how to uh, find buyers, negotiate buyers. Uh, most importantly, we have another one that's comp training, to so make sure that your Dispo goes smoothly. And then we also offer the A to Z process as well. And I do one-on-one Zoom trainings as well. Awesome guys. We just finished another amazing podcast with a gentleman named Anthony Cazada
0: at QTheCloser The Closer on Instagram and TikTok. You can also find him on QTheCloser.com. Go to his website, download some of his free sales tools there, learn more about Anthony Cazada and how he's built a multi-million dollar real estate investing in company. And then also, if you got value from today's podcast, if you picked up a couple little golden nuggets or you were inspired to potentially change industries or just to step your sales game up, please leave us a five-star review on this podcast. Share it on social media, tag some friends that need to hear what it is that we shared today with you. And remember, subscribe, and I look forward to catching you on the next podcast.